We're here today talking about the gospel from the perspective of Zechariah. We looked at Elizabeth last week, and now we get to see the husband's perspective on things, which can be a little bit different at times, uh, but, but no less important to look at. Uh, and the title of this sermon is Leadership in Our Darkness. A few years ago, there was a meteor shower uh, called the Geminids Meteor Shower, and I heard about this. I don't know anything about meteor showers, but I heard it was going to be really cool. And so like any good dad, I pulled up a YouTube video about how to go watch the Geminids meteor shower. And I, I you know, pulled up this so-called expert about you know, what to do. And so I carried my, my girls out in the front yard. And he said, when you go watch a meteor shower, you need to look, especially if you're in an urban area or a suburban area, you need to find the deepest and darkest part of the sky. You need to be outside for 15 or 20 minutes in order for your eyes to adjust to all the artificial light. And he said you need to look and find the darkest part of the sky in order to observe the meteors. And I think for the people of Israel at the time, for us, in order to really understand what was going on with the people of God, we need to take a minute to let our eyes adjust to just how deep and just how dark the darkness was at that time. Israel. I mean, these are almost inconceivable numbers for us to get our minds around, but it had been 400 years since there was a prophet in Israel. About 400 years ago was 1620 when the Mayflower sailed to the Americas and landed in Plymouth. It's a long time. It's a long time without words from the Lord being given to you. And get this, it had been about 600 years since they had had a good God-fearing king. 600 years is a long time. 600 years ago, or 530 years ago, Columbus sailed to the Americas. 600 years ago, the second emperor in the Ming Dynasty moved the capital of China from Nanking to Peking, now known as Beijing. I mean, this is a really, really long time that the people of God had been going without a good king, a God-fearing king, without a prophet. The darkness was dark in Israel. But I think we also need to understand that when you go that long without having a good leader, leadership in the darkness, your eyes adjust to all of the artificial light. You just get used to it. I don't want you to think that Zechariah and these other folks were just walking around every day calling out to God for a Messiah who would break into their darkness. No, probably not. They may have had little moments here and there, but really... Most of the people of God were just living life. Sure, the Romans were ruling. It was a pain, but that's just kind of the way that it was. You have to accept it and move on. Okay, sure, the Pharisees are, are running the show and the temple, and they didn't know how far off they were in their theology and how bad it was. They were just living life. Zechariah, when he showed up at the temple on this day, was just doing his job. He was being faithful, and he showed up to do his job, and everything changed. The people of God had become cynical over time about the possibility of God shattering their darkness with his light. Cynicism had rested over Israel, but God is not cynical. You know, there's a lot of cynicism in my heart and in your heart about a lot of things. But we don't serve a cynical God. We serve a God who brings light. 
into the darkness. And we need to adjust our eyes to who God is. That's why we worship. That's why we read the scriptures, because we adjust our eyes to artificial light all the time when the true light is shining. And so that's why we're here today. So we're going to see three ways through the lens of Zechariah that Jesus brings light into the darkness. First of all, Jesus is new revelation in our darkness. Let me remind you of the gist of the story. If you were here last week, you remember it. But if you weren't, you might need a refresher on this. Uh, So Zechariah and Elizabeth were very, very old. They were in their 80s. And they had desperately wanted a child when they were younger, but over time, it was pretty evident to them that wasn't going to be happening. But then, in the first part of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is the one that receives the word from the angel Gabriel that indeed they were going to have a child. And Elizabeth was going to bear a son, and he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. And this was amazing. It's beyond amazing news. So Zechariah, upon receiving this news from the angel, responds, not with faith, but the the way he asked the question, and you can tell by the rebuke that comes later, that it was filled with cynicism. How exactly is this going to to happen? And so he receives a punishment for the lack of faith that he shows there. You know, as a pastor, as I'm reflecting on this passage this week, you know, Zechariah basically had my job 2,000 years ago. And so here he is doing his thing, and he, you know, different from me in the sense that he only got to go into the holy place probably once in his entire ministry. This is a really big deal. There's a lot of priests. There's only one temple. And he was chosen to go in and light the incense that stands, the, the incense stands right in front of the, it's in the holy place, it's right in front of the curtain to the holy of holies, and the incense was kept burning to show the prayers that God's people were offering to God. And it was his job to go in that day and to make sure that the incense kept burning, symbolically to make sure that the prayers of the people were being given up effervescently into the presence of God. And it just strikes me as he goes in that day, I wonder what was going through his mind. I'm sure if this is your big day, this is your big day that you've been waiting on, maybe once or twice in a lifetime you get to go have this job, don't you know that Zechariah was all prayed up? Don't you know he'd been probably fasting and praying? He'd he'd been really considering his own heart. You know that he had to be. This would be like if I got asked to preach in Westminster Abbey where I got the assignment, I was the only pastor who was going to get to go and visit Wang Yi in prison in China. Or maybe before Mother Teresa died, it's like you're the pastor who gets to go and spend a day with her. Don't you think that you would have really been moving into that situation thinking that you're good? That if somebody in your accountability group asked you, how's your relationship with God? You would have said, I'm good brother, thank you for asking, and you sincerely would have meant it. But Zechariah learns in the presence of God that, in fact, he's not all right spiritually. 
He was all prayed up. He was moving in. He thought that he, he was doing his job faithfully. I'm not saying at all that he was going through the motions. I think he was being completely sincere, but the reality is that our hearts are deceitful. Zechariah's heart was deceitful. And in the presence of God, you have to ask the question, did he really think truly in his heart that God heard the people's prayers? What the incense meant? The prayers that he and Elizabeth had prayed, the prayers that the people of God were praying, even as he was going in to make sure the lamps were, to make sure the the coals were burning. You have to wonder if he even believed it himself. And in God's presence, he has has given this self-understanding that indeed, in fact, though he knows the Lord truly, he is called a righteous man, he truly knows the Lord at this moment, in this place, cynicism is choking out his faith. And God, in the presence of God, only in the presence of God can we sometimes have that self-understanding that, that arrests us and, and, and stops us in our tracks and shows us that we need to believe the gospel again. Now, there's some different ways you could go in applying this passage. One would be that now, because Zechariah had this miraculous experience that you need to be a miracle chaser, that you need to look for miracles, you need to pray for miracles, you need to pray for dreams and visions, you need to have this supernatural experience in order for God to show up and stop you in your tracks. But in fact, you don't, because what's different from you and me and Zechariah is that what's happening for Zechariah is called revelation. He has been giving He has been given new revelation from God about his son and about Jesus Christ that would go into our Bibles that we would now study. He's been given revelation from God. Revelation is a one-time event given to God's people through a, a, a mediator such as Zechariah in this moment, such as John, such as Luke, and all these other guys who wrote the scriptures. And so we have this revelation about Jesus Christ and who he was and what he did and what he accomplished for us. We have revelation. So you don't need to go chasing after miracles. Listen, I'm not at all saying that miracles don't happen. Now, this may be different from other pastors that you've had. I absolutely believe miracles happen. I believe they happen all the time around the world in the church. I believe they can happen in our lives. I've experienced some things that I could say they're, they're, they're outside of the norm sometimes in my life. I'm not at all discounting miracles. But you have to understand how miracles happen. They happen because God wants them to happen. Look at this story. He's just doing his job. He decided a long time ago that he was just going to be faithful. He's just going to keep on studying the Old Testament, which is the only scriptures that he had. He's going to keep on praying. He's going to get up day after day, and he's going to follow Jesus And in the midst of 80 years of faithfulness, or whenever he came to to truly know the Lord, many, many decades of faithfulness, suddenly a miracle happens. So the answer here is not go chasing after miracles. It's be faithful. And God is plenty capable of showing up in a miraculous way in your life if he wants to. You're not keeping God from doing that. If that's the case, then Zechariah was keeping God from doing that. But God didn't need Zechariah's faith to show up and work a miracle for Zechariah. He just showed up. What you need to do and what I need to do is we need to continue to be faithful. 
faithful to the Lord. Now, the difference between revelation, which is a one-time word from the Lord given to God's people, is, is another category called illumination. So the revelation is given to us. We don't need new revelation. We have all of the revelation we have in Jesus Christ and in the Bible. What we need is continual illumination by the Holy Spirit. There are so many things that God has already said in his word. Many of us, if we have something broken in our lives, and we all do, but if you have something in your life that's particularly broken, that really bothers you about your health, about a family member, about something going on in the world, what you can tend to do is get micro-obsessed over that area of your life. Listen, I think you should pray for that area. I think you should pray for it all you want. But the danger of having something broken is that you become so obsessed with that area changing that you can't see all of the good things that God has already said and that he has already done for you in Jesus Christ. Think about what God has already said to you in Christ through the revelation that he has already given to you in Jesus Christ. How about Romans 3, 23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but verse 24, but are justified freely through the gift that comes through Jesus Christ. That's good news. How about Romans 5, 1? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Pleased with men to dwell Jesus Christ our Emmanuel. How about Romans 6, 23? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. How about Romans 8, 1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How about Romans 8, 38 and 39? Now, there is nothing in all creation in the universe that can separate you from the love of God that is shown to us in Jesus Christ. This revelation has been given to us. So my encouragement for us would be to obsess yourself over the revelation of God to us in Jesus Christ. Obsess yourself with that. And then as, you, as your life is shaped around the revelation of God, as the Holy Spirit continues to illumine your heart to what God has said, to what God has given us in the revelation in Jesus Christ, then in God's time, he may work in that area that you tend to think about all the time. He may just indeed do something miraculous. One day, all things will be, be made new. I don't know God's timing for you, but we should first obsess over the revelation of God given to us in Jesus Christ. We need to seek God in his word. Seek him in his word. The second element here of the new light that's shining in the darkness is that we have new leadership in the darkness. So the revelation of God, what is, what is the revelation? Is that we have a new leader. We have a new leader, thank God. Man, are we in a leadership crisis in our world today. Goodness gracious. Uh, Vanity Fair magazine wrote an article, uh, there was an article last week in Vanity Fair, that said that we are stuck in a narcissist vortex in the news cycle where basically every other story, in fact, Apple has a whole section in my news from Apple dedicated to what Elon Musk did today. Um, you can find that. There's a Donald Trump section. There's a Kanye West section. 
I mean, the, the news cycle is caught in what, what Vanity Fair calls a narcissist vortex, where you would think that whatever Elon Musk did or Donald Trump did or Kanye West did today actually is the most newsworthy thing happening in the world right now. It's actually not. It, thank God that it's not. But you would think by the news cycle that, you know, whatever Elon Musk did today actually matters to the future of everything that's happening in all of the cosmos. So Zechariah gives us some perspective. You know, he had nine months of silence to think. Think about what happened in this nine months that he went through. Well, his 80-year-old wife was pregnant. She's starting to show. She's starting to have parties. She's starting to, she's seeing the doctor. She's going into labor. She's giving birth. The baby is born. They go a little time before they can see other people and have relatives over. And he can't say anything. That's tortuous. It's brutal. He has a lot of time to think and to spend time with the Lord processing just how cynical he had gotten, just how far off he had adjusted to the artificial light when God was going to be sending new light into the world. He had nine months to think. And so what you find here in verses 67 through 79 is an explosion of thoughts that, that have been distilled over nine months into a song. And the song has been called the Benedictus. The lyrics of the song focus on what kind of leader Jesus will be and how his own son, John, would prepare the way for Jesus. And so this, so this song is for Zechariah, and it's for you and me, but this song is for more than that. This song is for Israel, it's for God's people, it's for, it's for the world, and that's why it's kept for us in Scripture. And this is such good news for us. It's such good news for us as Americans as we are facing a leadership crisis where we can't go a single day without an egotistical CEO or pastor, or singer, or movie director, or politician being accused of some kind of misconduct. If you, it's, and if it's bad here, it's really bad globally. The leadership crisis in China, in Russia, Iran, so many places in the world, we're facing a leadership crisis, and we have Christ who shows us the way to true leadership. And that's what Zechariah is talking about here for us. So we don't just need a leader who will save our country or save the, the global uh, geopolitics or the economy. We need a leader who goes far beyond that because the root be behind all of this brokenness that the world has experienced actually occurred in Genesis 3. It's a brokenness of the cosmos. It's a brokenness of creation. And so we need a leader who will do more than just what we find on the surface. We need a leader who can come and change, change the world at a heart, at, at, a, at the level of the curse of sin. We need a, a leader on that kind of level, and that's who Jesus is for us. This is who Zechariah celebrates. In verse 68, he says, God has visited his people. He understands that God himself is coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 69, he says, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us, and then down to verse 71, 
that we should be saved from our enemies in the hand of all who hate us. I don't know if you picked up on this in the reading of Scripture, but actually being saved from our enemies occurs several times throughout the text. This is a repeated theme that Zechariah, as he looks at the, the Roman rule, uh, he, is, is, he is really thinking about the fact that he needs salvation from these enemies. But I believe this kind of the understanding of the salvation brought by Jesus goes beyond, obviously, Rome or politics. It goes back to Genesis 3.15 because our true enemy is Satan. The very first prophecy of Jesus is there would be one who is born of woman who would come to crush the head of Satan. So what we need is a leader who will come in and do the work at a spiritual level who will crush our true enemy, Satan. We also need a leader who will keep the promises to Abraham and to David. Abraham is mentioned here in verses 69 and 70, and then David as well. So the promise to Abraham is that God would make a great nation and all the nations would come into the people of God through the seed of Abraham who would ultimately be Christ. And then the promise to David would be that a king would not fail to reign on the throne of Israel, who who would come from David. There would be a Davidic king on the throne for eternity. And Jesus fulfills that prophecy as well. And this is, this understanding, this revelation is given to Zechariah at the time. You know, we need a salvation that goes beyond a political salvation. Zechariah was mainly thinking about politics, probably. He probably couldn't comprehend totally uh, everything that Jesus was going to do. But we often in America get way too uh, wrapped up in understanding what would be really good for America and the world would be a political change. We need much more than a new leader who gives us better schools, better jobs, better societies, and better nations. We need a leader who will give us new hearts. We need to be changed at that fundamental level. As Christians, if you've been around Trinity Park, we are concerned as a church about societal and political change. I think that we should apply the gospel in every area of our lives. Jesus came, as it says in the in the song joy to the world that we're going to close with he came to make his blessings known far as the curse is found but how is he going to make his blessings known it's not by going uh, social movements first or political movements first and jesus second jesus has to be first in all things and as we walk with jesus jesus can teach us and show us how we should be involved in changes that should be brought in our society how, how things should go, be going uh, politically and how we should be involved in politics. But Jesus has to be first. You know, you would think by listening to some people associated with certain political or social movements, maybe even medical movements, that, that there's a new kind of righteousness that you can find. You can be really righteous if you'll associate yourself with our cause. But the gospel teaches us that there is no new righteousness that we need. We have everything in Jesus Christ. Your righteousness as a human being is not attached to who you're attached to politically or socially. Your righteousness is in Christ. 
And as Jesus is your leader, and as you are transformed by him, he can show you how to engage with social, political, medical movements. But you must seek his kingdom first, or you'll get really, really confused. You'll get off in terms of where you think you get your identity and where you get your righteousness. So my question for you is, are you, in the, amid all the frustrating brokenness of your life, our country, and this world, are you following Jesus? Now, that's a very fundamental question to be asked in the church. Are you following Jesus? But, but really, who guides you as you surf through, as you scroll through all of the stories? Who guides you as you understand what really matters in the world? Is Christ first? Is that righteousness you have in him really all you need to be somebody in this world? If that's the case, then you can have him, and then you can go out, and you can follow the leader out into the world around us. There's no one who leads like Jesus, and we need to follow him. Then the third way that Jesus brings light into the darkness is he brings new life in our darkness. And the rest of Zechariah's song centers on this theme. And we have to ask the question, what is God's ultimate goal in sending Jesus to us? What is his ultimate goal? His ultimate goal is to, again, joy to the world, to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, to change this whole entire world. But his ultimate goal for you individually in sending Jesus goes beyond your salvation. It goes beyond your being forgiven of your sins, as important as that is, that when we believe in Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins. But God's vision and his goal for your life goes beyond that. He has a greater plan in store for you than than being saved or being forgiven of your sin. The first element of the new life that we see here that God brings into the darkness is in verse 74 and 75, that Jesus came to enable us to serve him without fear. To serve him without fear. Jesus came, he was born as the incarnate son of God, died on the cross and raised from the dead to show us that he is with us, and he is present with us, he is God with us, Emmanuel with us, in all of the things that we walk through in life. He is the one, he is the only God who has experienced betrayal. He's the only God who's experienced injustice himself. He's the only God who has gone to a cross, He's born the cross, He's the only God who can bring life in the tomb. These are the the elements of our lives. We have these broken areas of our lives. And Jesus has said to us in John 10, 28, John 6, 44, that if I have you, then no one can snatch you out of my hand. What that means is that Jesus has already walked through all of these things, all of these deep trials of this world, and he said, I've walked through these things, and that means I am present with you in the midst of everything that you experience. Therefore, you do not need to be afraid. You do not need to be afraid because I am with you, God with us, Emmanuel, in all of the trials, the crosses, the tombs, in the darkness. So we can learn to live free from fear as we follow Jesus. It is a process, (laughs) for sure. And so, yeah, as we had these fears in our lives, what do we do? As we, as we have these injustices, as we face these, these relational difficulties, 
as we face suffering, what do we do? We need to bring those to the Lord. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But Jesus is with you in your suffering. The second way God brings new life is he says in verse 74 and 75, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. You know, for some reason, we don't jump up and down when we read about the holiness and righteousness that, that Jesus calls us to. Um, there's a part of us that believes still that sin and having some kind of option other than Jesus is actually maybe fun or it reserves some place for um, pleasure in our lives. Uh, but as a pastor, I can tell you that I'm the one who sits with people when they've made choices uh, to sin, and, and that sin leads to, to consequences and leads to brokenness in their lives. And, and I can assure you that sin isn't fun, that sin brings destruction. And what Jesus has come for us to show us is that he can bring true satisfaction in our lives. That holiness and righteousness actually is, is where happiness is found in this world. The holiness and righteousness that we have as we follow Jesus. You know, one woman once told me that through believing the gospel of grace preached in our church, that she had come to a point for the first time in her life where she felt like that she could be happy and satisfied in life without a relationship with a man. Uh, her whole, a lot of the patterns of the decisions she'd made in life were in patterns of sin, as she I'm sure would put it, would be that she had, she felt like she needed a man who would love her and, and really affirm her and be with her. And, and because of that, she had made some choices in life that were really, terrible. Um, and she had been repeatedly in this pattern, this cycle of looking for hope and satisfaction in relationships. And, you know, she told me that through understanding the gospel and really trusting that Jesus is the one that she needs for ultimate satisfaction, that it had changed her life. It changed her life and that she, for the first time in her life, and she was a little bit older uh, at this point in life, for the first time in her life, she would say that she was okay, that she wasn't even really looking uh, for, for a relationship, that she was trusting the Lord and seeing what God might have in store for her. I think the message here for us is that Jesus has, came, Jesus has come to not just free us from our fear, but to also lead us into freedom and into wholeness in our lives if we'll follow him. That's why Jesus came. He came to satisfy our souls so that we would be able to stop pursuing these things that, that ultimately are really destructive for us and we could find life in him. You know, to close, I, want, I haven't, very, haven't been to very many uh, services I would consider to be like mainline liberal uh, services. Uh, it's part of the job that I have. Uh, usually I'm, I'm in, a, in our church or in a, another PCA church. Um, but we, uh, Michael and Ann, had, had moved to a small town in Georgia at one point, and they had just moved there, and we were there for Christmas. They hadn't found a church yet, and they had heard great things about this church down the street. And so we went there for a Christmas service, and the pastor or the uh, rector or whatever his title was at the time, you know, the sermon, the, the, the text that he was preaching on was this passage. 
it was this passage, and I was really excited because the title of the sermon was Light in the Darkness. I thought, this is going to be good. But as he preached, I kept on waiting for him to say the name of Jesus. I kept on waiting and waiting and waiting, and he never once said Jesus' name. There were a lot of allusions to light and a lot of stories about light. And I mean, there were candles lit, and it was beautiful in that church. But there was no Jesus in the building. None. It was vacated. I mean, Jesus was, was there because he is at work everywhere. But the people had failed to acknowledge him. And as I began to reflect on that a little bit more this week, I've realized that, you know, even though we can easily be like, oh, man, how can you do that in a church? The fact is we can come to church all the time, like Zechariah. But is Jesus, is there incense lit for Jesus in your heart? Is there really, like, are you experiencing him in your life? Have you ever followed Christ? Have you ever brought Jesus into the room of your life and said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you as the leadership out of my darkness? Listen, for me, um, I was reflecting on this recently. Someone was asking me why I'm a Christian, and I was like, if it weren't for Jesus, like, most of you know me now. If you'd have known me back then, there is literally no telling how many ways I would have wrecked my life. No telling. And that may be hard to believe because here I am as a pastor, but I'm telling you without the leadership of Jesus in my life, not just in a, in a one-time event, but the continual illumination of the gospel in my heart, continually, I, I would be so lost. I need the leadership of Jesus in my heart. And you do too. If you've never followed Christ, then you need his leadership in your life. If you have followed Christ, then you can be like me sometimes or like Zechariah where you, you're in a church, but you, you fail to remember that we serve a God who has made so many declarations over us about all the things that he has done for us in Christ. All of these doctrines that we find in this song from Zechariah. God has proclaimed the gospel over you. You're forgiven. You have peace with God. There's no condemnation. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. These are the truths to shape our lives around. You serve a God who brought the gospel to you in the deepest darkness, in the deepest and darkest part of the sky. And you may say, well, you don't know the darkness in my life. I may not know it exactly, but I can tell you I know darkness. I know darkness, and I know what it's like to have the life of Jesus shine in there. Listen, there are a couple of reasons why you may block off parts of your life from the fires of the gospel burning there. Let me give you a couple of reasons. One would be sin. You just have, you have something that you're holding on to, and you're like, I'm not going to allow God to come here. And so you, you don't let the light shine in the darkness in that area. Another would be disappointment. You're just, you've prayed for this thing over and over again in your life, and it's just not changed, and you're just disappointed. And so you decide, I'm going to have to take care of myself. The third would be cynicism. You just fail to believe that, that Jesus actually can take care of you and that he actually loves you. Just at a fundamental level, you've just decided to choke out the good news of the gospel with cynicism. Well, there's an opportunity for you right now, like there was for Zechariah, 
God was gracious to them. Do you know when God showed up, God wasn't angry with Zechariah. God loved him. He loved him, and he ministered to him through the angel Gabriel, and he's doing that for you as well. You can return to Christ. If you've never followed Christ, you've never let that light into your life, and you've never received Christ, I encourage you to do that today. But if you have before, but it's just been a long time for you since you have experienced the grace of God in your heart, I would encourage you to welcome Christ in to every room in your heart. Don't block him out. Allow him in and follow him as he shines light in your darkness. Lord, I pray that we would not miss this opportunity as Joe opened us in the worship service. There's a lot happening in our lives. We probably have a lot more to do today. We have a lot more to do this week. But we're here right now, and I pray that no one would miss this opportunity. Lord, your light is shining in the darkness. I pray that we would receive the light, whether that's for the first time or the thousandth time. I pray that no rooms in our hearts would be blocked off from you because of sin, because of disappointment or cynicism. Would we just express that to you, Lord? You already know our hearts. Would we express that to you and experience your grace that melts hearts, that breaks down walls, that brings healing in our hearts? God, I pray that you would do that by your grace. I ask it in Jesus' name.